So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day, hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. I'm here with Anna Harrison, staff writer for Drink in the Movies, on our first podcast episode without Michael Clausen. Thank you for coming to fill in, Anna Harrison, special Marvel correspondent. Thank you. Wow, I didn't realize I had that title. I've been promoted. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a working you know title. You have to earn uh-huh. it. Uh huh. Um, but right now you're kind of crushing our Marvel understanding and coverage, and you're going to educate me on a lot of things that I don't know about today. I love telling people there's ignorant and stupid. So it sounds great. <laughs> I won't uh, actually say you're ignorant or stupid. Well, it's too late. You already did. Uh, the films we're going to talk about today are both from Chloe Zhao. The first of which is Eternals, which just came out in theaters and you saw within the last couple days. And the other is uh, Songs My Brother Taught Me or Songs My Brothers Taught Me rather. Um, just off the cuff, what did you think? Uh, did you like either one of them? Did you not like either? No, I liked both of them. I, uh, you know, like obviously Eternals has been getting a lot of press recently for being, you know, having a splat on Rotten Tomatoes and being the worst reviewed Marvel movie ever or whatever. But like, honestly, is not the worst Marvel movie. Like Thor the Dark World is right there. The Incredible Hulk is right there. Age of Ultron is right there. Like there are way worse ones. So if there's a Marvel movie, I don't, you know, if you had to pick one Marvel movie that deserves a splat, it would not be this one. Um, in my it be opinion. Blade Trinity? Okay, if you're picking a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Oh, okay. 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 For, Different than know. Marvel. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I enjoyed it. I, it was, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there were, you know, there were a lot of thoughts on it, but overall... I liked it. Um, I also like songs my brothers taught me. I same thing with happened with um, her other movie, The Rider, where like I was watching it and I was I was you know vibing whatever. I was like, oh, this is really nice. It's really pretty. And then the ending happened, and I was like, oh my god, I'm crying on the couch and I'm really sad, <laughs> which is good. That's good. You know? I, I uh, was not as emotionally affected by it, but um, yeah, that's that's something that'll be fun for us to get into. Let's start with first impressions as we always do. This first impression batch is a special curated collection of Marvel titles that aren't out yet so that you can learn me and all the listeners up on what I need to know. The first of which is going to be the six episode television series or limited series, Hawkeye. Yeah, I believe it is a limited series. All right. Well, without further ado, let's take a peek. This is the first Christmas we've had together in years. I love you guys. I'm making up for some lost time. Authorities are wondering if the masked vigilante who terrorized the city's underworld is back. The past has caught up with me. Should we be worried? No, no, it's nothing. I'll be home for Christmas. I promise. It's the most wonderful time. 
When I wore this suit, I made a whole lot of enemies. You're Hawkeye! Who the hell are you? All right, Anna, that was the trailer for Hawkeye. What do you think? It was a trailer for Hawkeye. Uh, you know, I think it looks fun. I, uh, you know, the, it's, so it's, you know, it's largely based off the Matt Fraction run that happened uh, sort of recently, um, like within the past 10 years, definitely, for sure. Um, but so that's kind of a much more like irreverent take on Hawkeye. And, you know, almost each uh, book opens with like, okay, this looks bad. And like, it's just kind of him messing up repeatedly. And also Kate Bishop is there. Um, so Kate Bishop being Haley Steinfeld. Um, but so I think that's really fun. I think that's going to open up a different side of the character and make him a bit more dynamic than perhaps we have seen in mm -hmm. the Marvel movies before. Um, so I think that's going to be really fun. And the comic run is a lot of fun. I'm reading it right now, so I'm not actually finished. But, uh, you know, there's definitely a lot of good times to be had. And I think I think it'll be good for the character, like a little rehabilitation. Not that anyone was like super anti-Hawkeye, but no one's really pro-Hawkeye. And I think this might help people be a little more pro-Hawkeye. Yeah, I guess I didn't realize that they were going to keep him around. Yeah. I thought that he was getting sunsetted um, with uh, Linda Cardellini, right? That was his yeah. wife. Yep. Um, so I, I thought that he was just kind of Steve Rogering off into the the sunset. I, I do like the premise of this though, which is, I, I mean, it starts out in that first few seconds and it says like, don't worry, honey, I'll be home by Christmas. So it, and it's releasing and it will finish up right around Christmas, right? So it it is a nice little holiday jump i guess i don't understand kind of how these leagues fit together anymore like they're so not um super you know with the stakes that we're going to talk about in eternals like it's just it's kind of odd to me that we're straddling these two different lines of a, a very mortal hero with a, a medieval weapon and then bringing up a secondary character um but I, I do like Haley. she's very magnetic so we'll see her bumblebee film was actually quite enjoyable yeah well i'm you know i think what makes it exciting is that he is just a dude with the bow and arrow and then there are also all these like you know eternal beings running around at the same time and he's just like in new york fighting off some russian bros because there's there's like a group of the tracksuit bros who just go around they're russian and they're just like ah, bro, you, you, whatever, whatever, you know, they just say bro <laughs> a lot. It's like, uh, you know, and then also like, I definitely think they're going to retire him after this, but there's, they're definitely building up the young Avengers by introducing Kate and then uh, all the, a bunch of the other people who have popped up, um, like Cassie Lang and then Billy and Tommy Maximoff and even kid Loki, um, Kang said they haven't introduced iron lab anyway, but, um, so, you know, I think so you like, think they there's definitely... going to be a secondary spinoff show that all these shows are setting up. Oh, yeah. Like they're definitely building towards the Young Avengers. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a show or a movie or how that's going to cross over. But I think, you know, this is a way to both retire Hawkeye, but then also keep keep. So you Hawkeye. think they are going to retire Hawkeye in the show? I think I think they're going to retire Clint Barton as Hawkeye and then they're going to have Kate Bishop as Hawkeye continue and then 
move into Young Avengers and all of that. Um, so this is like a neat way to do both at the same time. Okay. Interesting. There's, yeah, that's, it's a lot more than I can keep track of, but uh, <laughs> all right. On to Spider-Man Far From Home. No Way Home. No Way Home. There no Way go. Home. Yeah. What just happened? We tampered with the stability of space-time. The multiverse is a concept about which we know frighteningly little. The problem is you trying to live two different lives. The longer you do it, the more dangerous it becomes. Be careful what you wish for, Parker. What do you think? Um, I think it's kind of weird because like at this point, I mean, like I guess spoilers if you don't know, but also at this point, basically everyone knows that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are going to be in this. Uh, and if you didn't, uh, I'm sorry, but like also if you've been under a rock, that, that's on you. Um, but it's kind of weird for me at least because like I never I don't really have like a strong emotional attachment to like Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man because like I watched the Andrew Garfield Spider-Mans when they came out but I was like okay these are great but like also they're fine they're not great actually but um and like I didn't watch the Tobey Maguire stuff growing up so like I don't have any sort of nostalgia or anything for it um so honestly like I know everyone's been hyping that aspect up but that's not like my most excited aspect my the thing I'm most excited for the, for this movie I mean obviously I think that could be cool it also I'm also worried this is gonna get a little overstuffed um we'll see mostly I'm excited for it because again this is like basically all but confirmed mostly I'm excited to see Charlie Cox as Daredevil because I'm way more attached to him than I am to Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man um but you know it's definitely an event and you know, I'm, you know, I think it'll be fun no matter what. So. Yeah. It looks, um, really standard. It looks just like the other Spider-Man movies so far have. Um, so I'm not really intrigued there. That Mysterio thing at the end of the last one was really cool special effects wise and just yeah. like great, um, c- cinematography to bring that feat to life and just kind of flood the screen with, um, stimulating images. Mm-hmm. I, it looks pretty flat to me it looks a lot like dr strange um with those special effects of the buildings and everything i don't really I mean care dr about... strange is in this and doing dr strange things so exactly that does, it does which, stand a reason it would look like dr strange which is uh not something that i responded to i did not like that movie yeah. um very much at all so i'm not very intrigued by it i am curious if like topher grace is going to show up as venom like that would just be very silly um i think it's maybe clever on their part to do this thing where benedict wong's character went and did um all that stuff in shang chi and now um benedict cumberbatch's character is is chiming in with spider-man so that they're kind of building out these team-ups um but I, I don't know how long they can really keep that going without any substance 
happening. This really just feels like a a long way of introducing Jonathan Major's character, who's named King the, the Destroyer, King, King the, the Conqueror. Conqueror. Okay, but he's not. He's going to be an Ant Man, Quantum Mania, uh, which is in yeah. May. Okay, so how much money are we betting that he won't be in this one? <laughs> uh, like, I would bet a decent amount. Really? Maybe an after credit There's like singer. three after credit scenes normally. Right? Yeah, in an like after he's going to be in one of those. But I don't think he's going to. If he pops up, I don't think he'll be in a main one. In a because otherwise, like, okay, listen, that still know. counts to me. There's, like, it's part of the yeah. the movie at this point with Marvel. Okay. That's how they they do their formalism. Yeah, um, I, so you are stoked for it, and I less so. I'm I'm like pretty. I'm not as excited as other people I know about it. But I also think read the Doctor Strange stuff. Like when I was watching Far From Home, the Mysterio thing at the end, I was like, oh man, I wish Doctor Strange had looked this cool. Yes. So I hope, I hope because it's John Watts still directing this. So I hope that he can bring a bit of that visual sensibility that he had in Far From Home to Doctor Strange and make him like his stuff visually more interesting than it, what, it, what it was in the original Doctor Strange movie. So yeah. we'll see. The building folding didn't give me hope, but we will see. Yeah. Um, Anyways, on to Eternals. We came here 7,000 years ago to protect humans from the deviants. Why didn't you guys help fight Thanos or any war or all the other terrible things throughout history? We were instructed not to interfere in any human conflicts unless deviants are involved. By who? We need to find the others. I haven't seen some of them for centuries. Hi. Hello. This is what the end of the world looks like. At least we have front row seats. You know what's never saved the planet? Your sarcasm. We have loved these people since the day we arrived. When you love something, you protect it. All right, Anna, we both saw this movie. I saw it like three weeks ago. You saw it much more recently. Um, why don't you give everybody a breakdown of the general trajectory synopsis of the narrative, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Well, The Eternals is follows a group called the Eternals and uh which are a group of beings that are created by uh the Celestials which were also so if you recall in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 Peter Quill's father Ego is a Celestial but I don't really know if they're gonna say that anyway never mind I'm moving forward so they're created by the Celestials and uh the gist of the movie is like the Celestials basically want to destroy earth to birth another celestial which will then go on to kind of birth another like galaxy basically and it's kind of the eternals grappling with the fact that a lot of their purpose has not been what they thought and then that all these people might die um for a new galaxy to be born and there's you know intrigue and betrayal and whatnot um and then you know there's some fun after credit scenes that set up quite a lot as well and 
the the first after credit scene uh my friends are very big fans of the person who appeared in that and one of my friends screamed when he appeared and that was really really embarrassing and I hope she listens and I hope she knows that I'm still really embarrassed about that I don't know do you want me to say more I can go more in depth I just didn't want to well th- this won't um release for a couple weeks so people right. will have their chance so we can say that it was Harry Styles it or Patton Oswald I don't know yeah. which one she it, was I was talking about Harry Styles you're but sure like the, it's not Patton Oswalt. He's a pretty hot elf. <laughs> he was, that CGI was terrible also. It, it, it was that's bad. very true. Um, um, the Harry Styles thing though, I was like, my, I was like, friends, that has been leaked. For, like the entire plot of the Eternals was leaked so long ago. I didn't read it, but like I, Harry Styles was confirmed for basically and all but like Kevin Feige being like, yeah, Harry Styles is in this mm. for so long. And people are still losing their minds about it. I'm like, guys, you got to for, for a lot of uh, casual film goers, I, I don't think that anybody knew any of that. Um, to me, this was just the movie that Salma Hayek is riding a horse in from the most recent Oscar winner. Um, so it's, yeah. it's an interesting um, thing because this is the first Oscar winning director that they've ever had board a Marvel project, correct? Well, so she boarded before she won oscars the oscar yeah but i mean this is their first film from an oscar winning director not just I mean, does uh, that count, a director like, who made an oscar winning film but like an oscar winning director like, for oh, director okay um yeah i think so um so this is kind of, of yeah. you know their critical acclaim thing and then it's also their worst critically panned film um at least right now, from what I understand, I actually haven't checked or done the math. Uh, how much worse is it doing than other stuff? Honestly, okay. I mean, like, at least like, are you talking about like just the Rotten Tomatoes score or like in general? Just in general. Because like, I mean, okay. Um, it's 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 kind of weird because the the bad reviews that it's been getting are a lot of people just saying like. The, the styles of like Marvel and the style of Chloe Zhao like don't mesh and I don't think that's true the last hour of this movie proves that if you just let her do what she wants to do she's fine yeah the um, first hour was terrible because clunky, it was basically yeah. you reading the synopsis for an hour yeah <laughs> um we're it's... in love but we can't <laughs> be in love because there are things in our past that mean we shouldn't be in love and we are in a different town now. And Salma Hayek is riding a horse again. That's the first hour. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's interesting, though, because like even like the dark world, which is something which is one of Marvel's like more poorly reviewed movies, I at least from what I understand, like the reviews were more like, oh, this is not that great, but it's kind of fun. So we're going to give it a good review. Whereas the, the reviews for Eternals seem to be much more taking an issue with the MCU at large, which is obviously fine. But I also well, that's feel like two different, very, very different right. time comparisons, right? Because when Thor: The Dark World came out, we were right. like, "Please don't stop making these." Yes, yeah, and like, <laughs> right? I'm not... which is a very different vibe. And um, yeah. God, what's that director's name? Didn't he just Alan lobby Taylor? in the last week or month or something for um? a director's cut that he could do because he, he said, yeah, he said that the film that was released isn't the film that he shot. Yeah. I mean, that it was, 
so I mean, if there is a Zack Snyder director's cut style version that he could create, I think that would be very interesting because he said it was supposed to be far more brutal um, and that he actually originally killed off Loki, I think. Yes. So he did kill off Loki, but then there were test audiences and they were like, he's not dead, right? Like he's the trickster God. He wouldn't just die like that. He's not dead. Also, he's our favorite. And then he was like, well, shit. And And you were the test audience? I was the test audience. I saw that movie four times in theaters and I cried every single time that Loki died. I was, what, that was 10 years ago. I was 13. I was very, very compassionate for Tom Hiddleston. I still am, Um, but I was really distraught. Um, So round out the cast of of Eternals for me. Oh, yes. So we have Richard Madden as Icarus, Jimma Chan as Cersei, Angelina Jolie as Thena, uh, Don Lee who is so good at punching things as Gilgamesh, uh, Barry Keegan, I think it's pronounced Keegan, as Druig, Lauren Ridloff as Makari, Salma Hayek as Ajak, um, Leah McHugh as Sprite, Kit Harrington as Dane Whitman, uh, Bill Skarsgård as Crow the Deviant. Um, I think that just about covers it, right? Oh, Kumail Nanjiani, obviously, as Kingo, and Brian Tyree Henry as Fastos. I yeah, think those that are covers it. Kind of the large ones. There's um also Kumail Nanjiani's valet, whose name I'm forgetting. Harish Patel. I think it's Karun, Karun, something like that. Um, okay. As the character's name, I believe. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and I, I think it, it is a Patel. I, I don't remember the first name though. Um, and this is screenplay by Chloe Zhao with a lot of other voices, yeah. as one could expect. Um, the screen story was written by Ryan Furpo and Kaz Furpo. I'm not familiar with them, um, but it, it's interesting that the story was by them and then that the screenplay was worked on by them and, and multiple others. And Zhao, for some reason, is listed on IMDb twice. I don't know if that's just an error or what that indicates. Um, and it, this is based on the Jack Kirby series, which he did after, what was this? He, he'd left DC and then kind of came back to Marvel with uh, a bunch of ideas. And, you know, it, it very much does kind of feel like a, a DC character um, type of a film where mm-hmm. all the DC characters are just slightly altered a little bit, yeah. you know, like you kind of get your feeling of Green Lantern, your feeling of Superman, your feeling of Wonder Woman. Um, so yeah, wh- who's your favorite character? Well, you know, from a purely aesthetic standpoint, it would be Richard Madden, but I'm not, sh- I'm not a shallow person. So uh, I don't know, because here's the thing, like I, like at least from my standpoint, right? Like a lot of the Marvel movies by and large do the same thing. And so what keeps it interesting in my opinion is like the characters, like, you know, I think, especially once you build them up, you know, we've had some of these characters for like 10 years now uh, or over 10. And I think that, you know, you, you do get attached to them and you're like, okay, like there's emotional impact in these characters. Like, you know, an end game when Tony dies, like, you know, I, the theater was full of crying people, including myself, obviously, um, because like people cared about him. Um, 
I did not super care about a lot of these characters, which was very unfortunate because I, you know, I very much like to care about these characters. Um, but if I were to pick a favorite, I might say Druig, uh, Barry Keegan's character, who in the comics, at least, uh, yeah, I mean, he's kind of, he's very much a shady person in the comics. And they sort of set that up in the movie, but then they like pulled a fast one on us by having Icarus kind of be the, the bad guy in the end. Well, he's just uh, worse. Yeah. That doesn't uh, not like make no- like his cult <laughs> that he had for yeah. thousands of years or whatever, like but any like, less problematic. Right. No, for sure. But like in the in the comics, he was like making people kill themselves and whatnot. Whereas in the movie, it was like, oh, this cult, but everyone's just it's a cult and it's terrible. And he's mind controlling people, which is very, very bad, to be clear. But also like he's doing it and making them like cooperate and not fight. Whereas in the comics, he's like, Yes, let me rule this country, this made up Slavic country, and I will make these people kill each other. Ha 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 ha. Um, that yeah. would also be very fun. I would watch that movie. <laughs> yeah, very no, compared sure. to that. <laughs> um, and I also thought I thought Barry Keegan was one of the better performers uh, mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. yeah, the the fact that you're just relying on contacts basically with him makes his whole superpower thing a lot yeah. smoother. I think. Um, so the first half of the film is setting up the the reveal that, that you mentioned, which is that the celestials are birthing another celestial inside of Earth, and that the Eternals are there to breed the humans and keep them from fighting each other so that they can be eaten by the celestial, right? That's pretty yeah, much- so they're like, their energies, so like they, they have enough advancement, so like they have enough energy, cosmic energy to give, basically give birth to a celestial. Yeah. Yeah. And they have to keep them from fighting too much and letting too many people die so that you can hit the saturation energy level, which is really yeah. just. But then they also cannibalism. have to make sure that there is war because that's how a lot of advancements are made. You know, it's a little, there's a delicate balance. Is that how advancements are made? Well, that's at least that's what Fasto said. I feel that is what like the movie what said. actually happened is Brian Tyree Henry just gave them advancements. Yeah. But, but like in the movie, Fastos also says like war gives the most advancements in like medicine and whatever. I mean that's that is true it's yeah. just um I I didn't get the sense that that was true at all within the the way that the film is presented um and then we have Angelina Jolie kind of losing her mind throughout the film mm-hmm. as she recalls what they've done to everybody else um and Icarus who is aware of what they've done and is trying to wrestle with that um what did you think of that that first hour in 15 minutes where it's really just an opera where they just keep saying their names and their backstories repeatedly going back and forth as they introduce those um what are they just uh deviants deviants yeah it was weird because it was just it was very clunky and like i think best moments of that were when people weren't talking because a lot of the times when they were talking they were like yes my name is Icarus and I shoot lasers out of my eyes or whatever whereas I think you know like because also Chloe Zhao is so good at, at framing shots and like those using the use of locations and like natural lighting which was really really refreshing I thought in a Marvel film um 
because like they green screen so much all the time all the time and I thought this was definitely one of the most visually engaging Marvel films um so kind of my favorite moments in the first bit were just kind of when the camera was talking um versus the very clunky expositional heavy-handed dialogue uh like the whole Icarus Cersei thing which was set up in the for it was kind of throughout the movie but like when they were setting it up in the first bit I was like like I really like Richard Madden and Jimmy Chan individually I thought they did not have any chemistry um and I think that was really hampered by just like the dialogue like when I again like when I saw them interacting and they weren't talking and they weren't saying words I was like okay and then they would speak and I would be like no one no one talks like this even like you know thousand year old beings this is so awkward uh yeah yeah the thousand year old beam thing that really got uh terrible with their their language and how they would try to to date and alter things um and then you'd see kit harrington and Gemma share like a frame and you'd be like well this is a lot more magnetic than whatever the hell that's supposed Mm to be um the one of the most annoying things i found is that they they chose to have um what is it sprite in the film Mm -hmm. and it's like as soon as this character is introduced you know that they're going to be written out of the film by the end they have to you either have to kill them or you have to make them mortal because you cast a child actor in a giant marvel cinematic universe and that child's not going to stay the right age for this role in perpetuity so you could kind of see the mechanics of their logic in front of the actual like purpose of the story and the purpose of the story doesn't really it doesn't seem fitting it's this this premise of um you know that we're like the the chosen race essentially of the these um eternals right that's that's the premise because we're the only ones that we know of to have been saved by Eternals because we, as a planet, get the credit for killing Thanos and snapping half of reality back. And that is the premise on which they choose not to follow the celestial telling them what to do. So there's just like a lot of logic logistics that I I don't buy into. And then, I mean, you mentioned the exterior stuff, um, which is good the further into the film you get, but in the early portion when it's dark out and they're doing that river fight, street fight sequence um, against the first deviant, it just didn't look very uh, good. It didn't really look like Zhao even shot it. It reminded me a lot more of like the end of Black Widow, where you can tell it's a totally different AD, like in charge of everything. Whereas- um, Are you talking about the the Mesopotamia stuff? No, I'm talking about the actual current contemporary street where the first deviant appears. Oh yeah, no, that there's was, that whole yeah, river fight that was, sequence. That yeah, that, that was boring. Really well, not only was it boring, it looked flat. It didn't yeah, um, look coherent. And then as the film progresses, about maybe one hour or 45 minutes before the end of the film, you really see, like you mentioned, these exterior lighting sequences come to life in, in this great open expanse of, of granite um, and island where you're just looking at gorgeous landscapes and s- mm-hmm. sunsets and everything like Zhao is known for. And then her her filmic talent is on display. But before that, it's um, it really seems like she was constrained and relying on um, kind of other people's shots. Like there are certain sequences in that jungle fight that are 
fine. Um, but I, I didn't really get the sense that she was able to flex her own perspective of visually telling a story. And we just watched songs. My brothers taught me, I'm sure you watched Nomadland in the last year. Um, there there's a, a big difference between watching those sequences and how she shoots them with that handheld cinematography with her normal cinematographer versus what we see here. It's just jarringly different. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's very different for Zhao as in like it, you know, it's probably like a step down. And then for Marvel, it might be a little step up. Like Chloe Zhao's step down is Marvel's step up, you know? Um, I will say like (laughs) going back to the lack of tension between Icarus and Cersei, I like, I was texting my friends about this, like literally yesterday saying how Druig and Makari who never kissed, they were never supposed to be like this, you know, um star-crossed lovers thing that was never their thing I mean obviously they had a very deep relationship but like Barry Keegan and Lauren Ridloff had way more chemistry with like very little else to go off of than Richard Madden and then Jimmy Chan did the whole movie and like also I was saying Barry Keegan had chemistry with literally everyone on that movie there was a scene where Richard Madden like pulled him away from mind controlling the masses and I was like oh Y'all have more chemistry than Richard Madden and Jim Chan. Like, what's up with this? Why is this happening? Barry's really, 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 really good. He is really. I good. don't know That's if you've true. seen the killing of a sacred deer, but it's like, I mean, it. I don't like it, but it's amazing. It's one yeah. of those films where it, I viscerally don't feel good when I'm watching it, but he's amazing, and it's one of the best performances um, that he's ever delivered. So, no, he's he's a special talent, and he is um, magnetic with everybody when he. Yeah talks to brian tyree henry you're like i could watch this for an hour make a show what are you doing marvel (laughs) um so i i mean this is really it's what two hours and 44 minutes or 34 minutes or something like that 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 isn't really its own film it's um it's all set up and that's kind of i think the biggest complaint that everyone has about almost every marvel movie these days is everything feels like a setup until you get to the end of the opera phase, which is, you know, um, I guess it was technically Spider-Man, but for everybody in reality, it was um, the Avengers duel, which was Infinity War and um, Endgame, right? So why is this better? Why is this different than what we get with all the other Marvel fair outside of Zhao's flourishes? Yeah, um... I mean, like, I don't know. It's weird because, like, just to evaluate, evaluating Marvel has just gotten, like, much weirder because, obviously, it can and should be evaluated on its own. Um, But it is also impossible to, like, extricate it from its place within the grander MCU. Um, I don't know. So it's just... And then they're, they're, like, you know, it's annoying because you have the people who are like, well, obviously this is, I don't know. You have like the Marvel stands on Twitter who are mm-hmm. you know, so upset about the ratings. And they're like, well, obviously this is just uh, because you, there are a lot of people who are claiming like, oh, the critics don't like this because Marvel is trying something different or like whatever. Well, it's- I think what it primarily is, is that no one understands if you rate a film 50 and under, you have to select rotten instead of fresh. Yeah, no, I- Rotten Tomatoes. The, the amount of 55 <laughs> movies, movies that I've rated 55 out of 100 that are fresh, according yeah. to me, is 
very high and inaccurate because then, you know, I go down five points and all of a sudden the movie's rotten. That's, yeah. there's really very little difference there. So I, I think there, there's just a communication difference where it's like brands and people that are fans celebrating stuff. Um, and, you know, that little bit of nationalism, that tribalism where you're on a team, um, yeah. That, that's occurring but i i mean in general like why why is this film not how this film is rated why is this film like a good direction for marvel why are why does this make sense to set up another thing that's bigger than everything else that we were just caring about and like how do we grapple this with kang yeah i mean i because they're way like, bigger than kang right i or mean are they? <laughs> yeah exactly i don't know because like you know, it was the same kind of thing in Loki where there's just a, a drawer with a bunch of infinity stones in it. And like a certain segment of the population watching that lost their minds. And they were like, oh my God, this is bullshit. Like this show just undercut everything that happened for the past, you know, 22 movies or whatever. But then also it's like, okay, yeah, sure. But then also they do have to move forward. And unfortunately, like Moving do forward that, doesn't mean getting right, bigger. Right. What they're doing it, is putting hats on hats that are yeah. larger hats because that's how you put a hat on a hat. They're not just like creating something that is narratively impactful and meaningful that has a scope to it. They're literally just going, let's get bigger. But like, I also think like they are getting bigger, but it's not like you know, they're definitely expanding more into the cosmic side of the MCU, which does mean getting bigger, but that is also a side that they haven't really explored so far. Like we've had the Guardians movies, which have been kind of self-contained as in like, you know, the first Guardians is really on Nowhere and then Xandar. And then the second Guardians is only on Ego. The, the like, difference there is that they feel mortal. Yeah. Like, no. This I, does not, like this is a yeah. total. And so how am I supposed to care about human heroes now? I can't really buy into the stakes of Peter Parker without them all of a sudden saying that like the entire space-time continuum is broken, which is what they're doing with Ant-Man as well. Like I'm tired of the same problem occurring a little bit, you know, <laughs> the entire universe is about to break and this is the only hero that can fix it. <laughs> well, then you get Hawkeye. So be sure to tune in November 24th at I thought you were going to plug Tatiana Maslany's She-Hulk. Dang it. Be sure to tune in to She-Hulk as well. And whatever other shows are coming our way. But many shows. Um, yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a valid point. I, I'm trying to, like, go through the future stuff in my head. Because, like, you know... It is interesting because Spider-Man is always supposed to be like the guy on the ground, sort of, you know, mm -hmm. neighborhood Spider-Man. And uh, now he is, you know, like you were saying, it's getting bigger and bigger. And like they they had, uh, you know, they're bringing in the multiverse now with him. I mean, they've brought it in before, but, you know, in the movies. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, me personally, I'm excited to see them expand into this direction, but I also understand that there is a point of where you're just kind of like well why <laughs> uh yeah that's i i mean the the I have not reached that thing, point right yet. it's like why why yeah 
why was this arc here like the murdering her with deviance off of a cliff like the betrayal plot line there it just so much of this feels operatic in the sense that like it's a large opera play with like a formula that we already are aware of and then that it's also operatic in the sense of like it's you're just plugging in numbers to an equation and you just have to get to the end which is i mean it's it's one of their best finales i think in recent memory it, it actually lets the director yeah. show their craft work in a way that a lot of the finales haven't mm-hmm. i would say since the russo brothers did a finale honestly um because i'm i'm not convinced like you that watts was the one that directed that sequence in spider-man um i'd be interested to know if he did or not but i i just i don't get the sense that that was in his um his wheelhouse to be i mean with. i'm not i'm i'm not convinced like to be clear i'm just you know he uh, he's the director of the movie so i'm saying yeah. you know well name. i mean but they're does... they're pretty notorious for using that second ad i believe oh, yeah. to shoot all those action sequences and yeah, most films they do that a lot yeah um and yeah. i i don't know how Zhao got away with doing it her way um but yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of logic problems. I think the the most glaring piece of stupidity for me is Kingo, who's Kumail Nanjiani, saying, I don't agree with you, but I'm not going to fight you. And then he just leaves. And he's just not in the movie anymore. I don't understand the reason why he was introduced or is in the film to begin with, um, with that arc. I mean, yeah. I was reading about that. Uh, you know, it was interesting because, like, I he does feel pointless because of that, but also, at least to me, I was like, oh, that's actually like an interesting character choice from him. It would be if it was smaller Kingo. and developed. Yeah, and there the were, film there, was smaller. I think that was yeah. I think that was the issue with a lot of the things. Uh, was like okay, there were a bunch of interesting threads there, and then none of them got pulled on enough. I think because it was just it spread itself a little too thin. Um, but like even with Sprite, you know, you were saying, well, obviously this is gonna, you know, they're either gonna kill her off or she's gonna become mortal or whatever. Um, like you know, that is a very interesting point about like her being stuck as a kid forever and like wanting to experience all the things that she's seen and whatnot um but again like it wasn't given enough weight so it was like okay yeah sure great or like Icarus you know being like wow all the things that I stood for you know I have actually they they aren't I have not been standing for the things that I thought I was standing for but I'm going to continue to side with the celestials because that's what I know and that's the people who created me and like you know that's my god figure basically uh like that's super interesting but again like it wasn't completely fleshed out or like Ajax having been like so committed the entire way um and knowing the whole time and then kind of backing out at the last moment like again very interesting wasn't expanded on a lot so it was just yeah it definitely I think just needed to be pulled down a little I think there were you know there were so many characters that not enough not enough of them got like their motivations and everything could have been like super super interesting and they just weren't elaborated on enough 
And as it stands now, they're just like mildly interesting. And then if you extrapolate from what they showed on screen, then you're like, well, that's so cool. But what you actually are given is not really enough. Yeah, I think that this is one of those unique things where I I think a lot of people want to react and say like, it wasn't long enough. There wasn't enough of this. And I think that there actually was too much of everyone and not enough Gemma Chan and Kit Harrington. I think that the the way to actually fix this is to make it a Zhao movie and make it like very intimate and like get to know a character. Yeah. And like, let, have all those, have Sprite, have all those people, have them have the same arcs, but don't let them talk. Don't spend all this time cutting to them and giving us their backstory. Let us wonder like what the deal is with this lady who's super fast and this dude who possesses people. And like, why why are they so magnetic on the beach in that fight sequence like that's cool i can't wait to get to know more of them instead of sharing oversharing for every single character without any focus yeah. um and then i i mean like we we meaning you also don't believe that richard madden's actually dead right like he's in the sun i hope not <laughs> full superman style absorbing its power and then he's gonna go do something I, crazy and like I, go yeah. kill the eternal for them right <laughs> or not the I eternal the uh what's the thing celestial. That, the celestial yeah right because the celestial kidnaps them or whatever yeah i think that's uh one of those things where like marvel is like okay we never showed his body so if we want richard madden to come back he's available um but also if we want him to stay dead he can do that too because he flew into the sun so i think it's definitely like leaving it open-ended for them but also like if they're just basically if the eternals are basically just advanced robots which is what the movie was saying another richard madden could just walk off the assembly line so yeah and also his power was energy and he just went into a giant energy source so i just don't believe that he's dead i I feel like he's just gonna have really high powered retinas that'd be great because i like yeah again it just i was like you were saying earlier like the i think the finale was really good that was when i was most engaged and i thought that was also when the performances were the best or like from jimma chan and richard madden specifically specifically richard madden i was about to say just richard and i was like i can't do that we're not friends (laughs) um but you know so i would like to see that same performance level uh in another thing like their whole time versus just me being at the end being like okay there's the Richard Madden who can act that I know uh, mm-hmm. versus him just making vaguely gooey eyes at Jimmy Chan you know sure um so Gilgamesh died yeah I think he's he's probably one of the the most interesting characters they they introduced um what do you think about that whole final sequence on the the beach does do the logistics hold up for you? Um, did you like the special effects? Did uh, the actual strategy of taking down the celestial um, seem legitimate? <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm going to be like, I had a good time, and you're going to be like, the CGI was terrible and it sucked. But I'm, um, I mean, Marvel has very spotty CGI sometimes, as we know. But um, I thought I really liked just you know, for the most part, I really liked the fight on the beach. I thought like when Fastos tied down Icarus and like he was, I thought that was super cool. I thought Makari beating up Icarus was super cool. I thought uh, 
I thought the solution to the celestial was also very interesting, but again, like same thing. I wish because there were only like two other moments or two or three other moments where Cersei mentioned she's like, Oh, I've never been able to change living matter. Yeah, I've never been able to alter living matter. And then she says that and then she does it to it. She alters the living living matter um as in she turns a deviant into a tree. And then she like says it, she's like, Oh, I can't do that. But then she does it to the celestial. But and like it was a cool solution, but I just wish it had been like focused on a bit more and been like, oh, I don't know. It it didn't feel like it seemed like there was supposed to be a big emotional moment behind her having the power to be able to turn a celestial to stone or marble. And it there wasn't that emotional moment for me. I was like, okay, she's touching it. I was like, that's a really cool solution. And I'm glad we are not getting the typical Marvel like beat down stuff. I mean, we kind of did, but like on a, it was a much smaller scale, I feel like than normal. Um, Yeah, so I just wish, because they framed it as this big emotional moment for Cersei, like the end of her arc or her journey on this movie. And I was like, what was that arc to begin with? I was not getting it. (laughs) I, I, I do have a logic question here. Okay. The the Eternals are like evolved robots. Yes. Are the I Deviants think. not? Um, no, because I can't really remember from the comics, but like the movie established that originally um Arishem, who's the celestial who created them, he was like originally I had these living being things, the deviants come, but then they evolved basically and okay so they control. they are alive. so that's why because he they the, were absorbing yeah. the robot powers so i got i thought that they were also just like data you, you know evolve yeah. now tech no um, i just think they're like they're just fancy they're 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 living. okay because then the whole I, thing he was like i I'm thought maybe the, the undercurrent system. was that no one's alive and that she doesn't realize that she you know, like she'll get in a fight with a human and not be able to win because she can't manipulate mm-hmm. life, yeah. but she can manipulate his constructed life or something like that. Um, so I, I thought maybe that was something they were introducing. But um, yeah, so a few things. I mean, yeah, the the DC fight sequence on the beach was pretty cool. It was great seeing Green Lantern and the Flash uh-huh. do their thing. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Uh, very well executed by Zhao. I. I think that that was uh, Fastos's most uh, like eloquently brought to life CG yeah. effects. I really don't like the um, the style of the other stuff where he's just kind of flicking his fingers and then things appear in the air. Um, it didn't look tangible in a way. Like it yeah, that looked just felt artificially like, fake. That just felt like something out of Iron Man with like Tony, like specifically Iron Man 2 when he's like, quote unquote, discovering a new element or whatever Mm -hmm. and he's just like flicking things around that just felt like that like I didn't get the sense it was his powers necessarily I just got a sense that it was just him being smart and having good technology and then it finally then I was like okay this actually feels like he has is like a super powered person about inventions or whatever yeah that's that's the premise of him and I he's the one character who I think wasn't who is an incredible performer who wasn't really yeah. set up properly. But yeah. then we get to that fight sequence and he gets to put it all on display with the emotionality of trying to hold Richard Madden down. Um, that was very cool. I also like the the double cross sequence that occurs and everything. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. So there's a, 
like a distance thing where I, I just, I don't understand why she had to walk towards the celestial because like, there's no way that she was going to get to that volcano. And then like, she reaches some arbitrary point and begins casting or whatever. Like it just, it didn't quite um, make sense to me. I don't understand that portion of it. Um, the cave fight with Thena, very cool. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I liked the ending a lot. That's probably my favorite ending in a in a Marvel movie since Infinity War. Or maybe yeah. maybe that last Spider-Man, because that last Spider-Man sequence was really cool. Was yeah. Um, but one of the best. Um, so what what else do I need to know about this movie? What did it set up? <laughs> what what do I not understand that I should understand for the future? Um, I mean, Harry Styles obviously is in this. Um, I don't really know where they're gonna go with him. Um, well, he's, he's playing Star Life Fox, Star Fox. Okay, and he's gonna who, be Chris Pratt's sidekick, right? I do not know. I don't okay. know. I literally I have no idea where they're going with him. Um, I mean, he's also Thanos. Thanos is half brother, uh, and they said that in the movie, I believe. So they're not like retconning that or anything. Um, he might just be his full brother anyway. But um, you know, I again, that's all I really know. But then the second after credit scene that was very exciting. Um, because so Kid Harrington is playing Dane Whitman, who is also known as Black Knight who's a superhero and he has a sword called ebony which is the sword in the end credit scene and then also it's mentioned earlier in the movie thana is fighting with the sword and sprites like oh is that ebony and thana's like no it's excalibur actually um but dane whitman has uh ebony and he mentioned earlier in the movie he was facetiming cersei and he's like or and cersei was like oh you know you have that uncle that you're you are estranged from like go apologize to him because you might die soon um, so his uncle is also, is like Black Knight also, I think, but also evil, maybe. I'm not totally sure. I don't know Black Knight super well. Um, but then, and then uh, the voice has, wow, I, sorry. I just had a little prepubescent boy voice crack going on. <laughs> sorry. Um, the voice at the end has been confirmed to be Mahershala Ali as Blade, which is Oh, fun. that's cool. Yeah. Um, so... Dane Whitman and Blade as far as I can recall don't have like a super big connection in the comics but they are uh members of the Midnight Suns team which also consists of uh Ghost Rider who I don't know if there there's been a lot of discussion about like because he was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. but also is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. canon probably not uh, but also whatever um and then Moon Knight is going to be Oscar Isaac in the Moon Knight TV show. And then depending on if Sony, whatever, whatever the hell is happening with Sony, um, Morbius, uh, possibly, uh, but I don't want Jared Leto in the MCU, so he can stay away and be creepy elsewhere. Um, yeah, but anyway, that's super exciting. Also, if you want a little Game of Thrones trivia, uh, so Dane Whitman, the character inspired House Dane, uh, from Game of Thrones it's they weren't really in the TV show which is really unfortunate but um you know whatever Arthur Dane great dude uh but so Dane Whitman in Marvel he has like an ancestral sword that's super cool called Blade and House Dane they have their sword uh Dawn which is like 
probably it's pretty important in the books at least um and so then you know that in so Dane Whitman inspired House Dane and Game of Thrones and obviously Kit Harrington played John in Game of Thrones so it's just like a little full circle thing and then of course you know Rob Stark was also in this and they saw each other ha 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 look it's them reuniting but anyway um yeah so the second after credit scene I was pretty excited also because like I think Kit Kit Harrington is like super charming when he doesn't have to brood and be boring like the show version of Jon Snow was he was was very silly yeah yeah I was like I was having a great time with Kit and like you were saying like he and Jimmy Chan had great chemistry and I was like this is fun I'm having a good time I'm very excited to see where that goes also Mahershala Ali is great obviously so yeah that's going to be interesting to see how they do that so this character he's playing Black Knight is this built around or based on the 2001 film starring Martin Lawrence called Black Knight I that, that was a joke that's, could not tell you. that's when Martin Lawrence <laughs> I believe wearing a Jets jersey uh accidentally travels back in time I you know I, have uh, I think to with say, a lighter <laughs> I don't think that's it uh but you know my knowledge on Black Knight is not the strongest so you think they're setting up quite quite a few things um yeah that are larger that are going to be in play um with hawkeye you mentioned uh the young avengers with this you Mm -hmm. think it's going to be some other squad thing so they're kind of just forming the the premise for these um these spinoffs if there's enough attention on the stars to warrant it yeah and then there's also i mean they've also been doing a lot of thunderbolts set up with Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Black Widow um, and maybe even Armor Wars if Sam Rockwell shows back up. Um, you know. And meanwhile, all so I want we'll is see. Planet Hulk. Well, you already got Planet Hulk in Ragnarok, so. Not the full story. Yeah, but I think that's the closest. I haven't it. read, you know, Marvel in a long time, but that was probably one of my favorite um, stories that they did, or runs, yeah. rather. Um all right. Well, I think that's generally everything on Eternals. Is there any final notes you want to give me or anybody else? Um, uh, no, I mean, you know, I the like the more I think about it, the more I like it, mostly because I think I respect that it was trying to do something not typically Marvel and a bit slower. Um, you know, I, I would say it was a solid lower mid-tier marvel movie certainly not the worst certainly not the worst i think people need to calm down (laughs) well it's yeah i mean captain marvel exists so it's not the worst (laughs) but it's yeah i I mean the whole is it the best or it's is it the worst i i think that it's it's an interesting film and um especially for marvel but that first hour and 15 minutes like no matter how good the last hour is you can't really excuse the very very poor dialogue because it's awful and it should have been better or removed yep. entirely um yeah anyways let's explore more of chloe zhao's filmography and have ourselves a conversation about songs my brothers taught me i want to see what's out there go travel all over see things My brother, Johnny, is moving away with his girlfriend. I don't understand why everyone's always leaving. 
<laughs> Did you hear about that? Yeah. If there was one thing that you could have said to him before he died, what would it, it had been? Probably would have made him stay here instead of heading out. Anna, this is Chloe Zhao's directorial debut. I think it was filmed six years ago now. She just finished her fourth epic film. What do you think of this directorial debut? I mean, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I thought it was really good. I think it was very, you know, uh, you can definitely tell. I mean, like she has had the same sort of like mainstays throughout her entire filmography, I think. Um, in terms of like how she shoots a lot of things and also the, the locations and like the love of the, not the love, but just like the fascination with um, kind of this Americana vibe, uh, like depressing Americana. And, yeah, she's and, very interested in the heart of this nation. Yes. And, and yeah. the heart of its indigenous people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think it's really interesting like the performances that she gets out of the people that she casts because you know so they are real people essentially just playing like fictionalized versions of themselves yeah i think there's one actress in here who was yeah. the older woman giving him alcohol also the the mom was pocahontas oh was um, she okay irene beddard oh gosh i hope i got that right um yeah irene beddard but um not to talk about Eternals again, just really fast though. But like, it's very interesting because the performances that she has out of like songs my brother's taught me, right? They're very understated. They're very like natural, right? Naturalistic because it's just people talking who haven't been trained, who don't, you know, really know like the, the quote unquote craft of acting. And I think that's interesting compare like the Eternals, which is a, you know, in the Marvel films, like you have to, it's not, they aren't really built for natural acting, um, you know? So I think, I don't know if maybe that, cause I, you know, I did feel like some of the performances are maybe not as good as the performers usually are. So I was just wondering, you know, I, I was thinking maybe that was an issue because you can't really have like naturalism in a Marvel movie because it's all unnatural. It's not like built for that anyway. Um, but in this movie specifically, you know, I, both in this and the writer, uh, I was, you know, very impressed by the fact that these were non-actors, but they still managed to convey a lot of emotion, even if they weren't like necessarily, if, if you weren't looking at them and being like, yeah, that's like, that guy should get an Oscar for his performance, but it was still very, it, it very much worked and it very, it came across very well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, it makes me think about the uh, the fire sequences in Nomadland, where um, mm -hmm. all these non-actors are sharing ostensibly true stories, and yeah. you're just hit emotionally by them. She she has a real knack for that. And here in Songs My Brothers Taught Me, near the end of the film, she goes to visit her eldest son who's in prison, mm -hmm. and uh, his brother had just had his truck on fire and got the shit kicked out of him. Yeah. And she's talking to him and he sets the phone down and like, you could just feel this transfixing like emotionality that this character had of, of disdain towards his mother. 
um, that he was trying to like be a good person when he picks the phone back up, but like he really doesn't like her. And I mean, just for, yeah, someone who's never performed before or has performed very little, it's quite stirring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was, I mean, you know, of course it was a very, it looked very nice. The whole movie was very lovely to look at and had some very um, stark landscapes. But then, you know, it's was, it was always interesting, like the contrast between those big landscapes where the people just look like so small, like they're just nothing. And then also how like intimately she shoots other scenes between them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always something that I think has been like a, well, maybe in like Nomadland, the rider and songs, my brothers taught me, maybe not eternals. That has always been like an interesting contrast. Um, you know, like how, how small they are against the landscape, but then how important they are when, you know, you, you're having like those one-on-one conversations or like when they're, you know, gathered around the fire, drinking beer and remembering their dad, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the cinematographer that she uses in all these smaller films, uh, his name is Joshua, Joshua James, James Richards. Richards yeah. And aren't they um, dating also? I think so, but I don't yeah, they're, know they're the partners. details on that. Um, so, you know, that's, that's their business, but, well, um, I like to gossip. So what I, I do find interesting is that he served as the camera operator or primary camera operator on Eternals. So even though he wasn't cinematographer for her, he was um, present and, you know, holding the camera, which I think shows up in some of those sequences. But here, I mean, uh, not just here, but in, in all of these smaller films for her, it's really that handheld cinematography where you don't feel like you're watching an actor walk around except mm-hmm. for Nomadland, which I have my own problems with. Yeah. But you feel like you're watching kind of a, a fictionalized documentary that is mm-hmm. just as real as a normal documentary is. Um, and that that flowing motion where it just kind of bounces down and up and you, you kind of trail along the top of long grass and then it, it goes lower and higher it really gives you a sense of a place and like you're, you're there with these people. And I, I think that that's what it, for me allowed me to feel like I was in this film with these characters more than if it was just a standard, um, you know, steady cam shot. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, yeah, it is super intimate. Uh, the film starts, I'm sure as you noticed with horses it does start with horses. Um, it it uh, spends some time on and off amongst horses. Was everything pretty logically correct? Or did it seem like it was um, Zhao had not figured out what is true about ranching life? <laughs> no, I mean, rodeo you know, life. I, uh, I, I don't really know much about rodeo life because I do hunter jumpers. So I like have my little suit and my tall boots and my helmet and my hairnet and whatnot. But, uh, you know, no, I think it, it seemed pretty pretty good I the only like both this and the writer I was you know I was very I was like oh wow they're just you know it's real life people and real life horses the only thing is like you know they're they don't they're usually not that vocal so like every single film you watch with horses they'll like add them whinnying when they are not and like you're like I don't think they would like be talking right now but uh you know it's for dramatic effect but, okay so sound mixing a little unrealistic, but the depiction yeah. of life around horses, not so. Yeah, I would say, I would say so. Um, you know, it's always, I, I always enjoy seeing horse depictions of 
life around horses that isn't you know totally glamorized uh that's always super nice uh, you know um because people think it's easy and it's not <laughs> um but before we continue do you want to kind of outline the uh synopsis or the the summary of the the narrative of the film sure um let's see so it follows um johnny winters mostly and his sister um just sean and their um so their dad was named carl and he had like a bunch of kids throughout the reservation where they live i believe they're lakota mm-hmm. um yeah so they have a bunch of brothers uh so songs my brothers taught me and it's kind of you know there's not a huge like a big main narrative thrust uh per se it's just kind of not to say there isn't a plot but it is a bit it's not like you know super tight and focused which is good in this case um but like johnny you know there's no alcohol allowed on the reservation so johnny is kind of like a bootlegger and he's thinking about going moving to la with his girlfriend um after he graduates high school and he has an older brother in prison and there's a lot of uh you know, there's a lot of discussion around alcoholism that's prevalent in the reservation. Um, and a lot of it, you know, deals, it's, it mostly deals with Johnny and his sister's relationship and then him deciding whether to, or not to move to LA, I would say. Yeah. Was that, was that a good job? Yeah. You forgot that he wants to be a boxer, but that's, All right, uh, he also wants to be a boxer. That's, I, I think a, a great summation. Um, yeah, it's, unclear um kind of how many how these different stories amongst these people are tied together with johnny we we do follow johnny for most of the film and you don't really get a sense of like if the guy that beat him up is related to him or not or like mm-hmm. exactly kind of where the the lines in the sand are which is actually more interesting than if they would have ironed it out i think i think it's better yeah. to leave that more unsaid i agree um and then there's there's certain moments where I, I think we see the mother at night watching a like a controlled line burn um, on some land, and it's just this stark image of this like lightning strike of fire burning, mm-hmm. um, and she's just standing kind of in the foreground, and it's it's just this great depth of field shot that really early on in her filmography kind of advertises like. She knows what she's doing and she's yeah. not going to put a beautiful image where it doesn't belong. And I think that, yeah. that that comes kind of right where you're wondering, you know, what is this film about? And then you just see this image of, of this controlled burn on this land and you're, you're just like, they're just trying to maintain at some level um, normalcy and, and life here. And, you know, everybody wants to do this rodeo thing and they're all getting hurt. He wants mm-hmm. to do the one thing that'll, you know, hurt just as bad, but you know, with padding, there's, um, there's just an undercurrent of kind of like, I want to get out, but I can't to this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's that scene where they have the high school teacher asking everyone he's like, you know, you're graduating soon. What do you want to do? And it's so many people are like bull riding. And he's like, okay, why do you want to do that? And the guy's like, well, I don't know. That's what my dad did. That's what I've been doing my whole life. It's really the only thing I know how to do. Yeah. (laughs) I'm good at it. And it's really the only thing I know how to do. And there's like the one person who's like, Johnny's girlfriend who's like I want to be a lawyer um and yeah but it's it is very much like a you know grappling with 
their home and like is it do they are they trapped there what's good about it because like you know there is and there's like a bunch of alcoholism alcoholism uh going around going around going on happening um (laughs) it's an infection (laughs) yeah but you know there's also it's but it's not like you know i think what Zhao's like very good at is she's you know displaying this life that does not seem very happy at all but it's also like i don't think she paints it as anything as like irredeemable or like this is you have to like escape there's nothing good here it's not there's very there's a lot more nuance to it than just like oh let me get out of this bad place boo hoo hoo yeah it's a, it's a compassionate depiction and i yeah. mean really the way the way that it ends is you get the sense that leaving's actually not the best thing for his happiness yeah and it's also stolen from him because of his truck being lit on fire and there being no yeah. room in the car for him mm-hmm. um and I mean, yeah, their whole relationship, right? Like uh, he asks in the first third of the film, did you tell your parents we're going together yet? And like the end yeah. of the film, he's the one that tells them. At, at dinner, oh, that was you know? like, so uncomfortable. <laughs> oh my God. And not just does he tell him, he's like, I'm moving to LA with her. You didn't even know that we were dating, but now we're moving oh, in. <laughs> that was, oof. That was so terrible to watch. And meanwhile, Jashan is kind of at the, the corners of the narrative. She's observing her brother's action. She um, at one point has seen them behind a bush making out and talking about going to LA. And then he goes home and she hides under the cover from him. And it, it's just this um, nonverbal great symbology of like these emotions that are bigger than this little girl can handle especially with all the grief and everything that's been going on Mm -hmm. um and you also get these cutaways to her when her brother is boxing and the the way that she's grimacing and Zhao really brings to life how people how deeply people care about other people but don't show it and i think it repeats in the writer as well um and it repeats with um Gosh, David, what's his name? His character for Francis McDormand. Oh, straight Aaron? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, you know, very concerned with her, um, besides being enamored with her in Nomadland. Um, And that's really how you get to the interiority of the other character that they're caring about is through these other glimpses. Um, So she's got a real knack for that. And I mean, obviously there wasn't the room or whatever for it to, to happen in Eternals, but... I, I think that that's something interesting to keep an eye on is just how she continues to explore empathy transference to the audience by showing us the, the people in her story and that are loved by other side characters in the story. Yeah, I think that was also pretty apparent with, um, what was his name? Was his name Travis? And I'm, am I making that up? The the guy that just Sean befriends who like has his little doodads that he sells. He's a tattoo artist. And he, oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And he struggles a lot with alcoholism and he talks about how he's like overcome it. And then she walks down into the basement one day because he's forgotten to drive her home and she sees him drinking with his buddies. And it's like, it's really heartbreaking to watch this through like the eyes of this, this child. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it was, it was also very intensely empathetic at the same time. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that was, I think that guy's name was Travis. You're talking about the tattoo artist that yes. um, made that thing in jail for his son. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah, so there, there's a breadth to it. Um, and then she's also bringing to life this impoverished community, you know, and I'm I'm sure that you're aware of all the um, conversations that were had last year about like, how did you even find these locations to shoot Nomadland? Now we've seen the film. That, that shows us how, because um, mm-hmm. in those interviews, she said that when she was location scouting for her very first film, she knew that there were other things she wanted to do in these rocks and in those in the the rivers where um, Francis um, gets naked and, and walks down yeah. and just lays there, um, and those birds come out and everything. Uh, so it's it's kind of interesting at a larger perspective to just see how Zhao kind of found something that she really wanted to explore the different sides of which is this land in this South Dakota area and just bring it to life in a way that I don't think anybody ever had and I never Mm -hmm. would have experienced if she didn't put it to film in this way yeah so what else what else um oh I don't know it kind of um uh I don't know, watching it after Eternals made me be like, maybe just, I was more frustrated because I was like, this could have been like so much better if they had just kind of chilled out and let her do her thing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what can you do? Um, I don't know. I Like I said, I thought the ending, like the same thing with the writer, where it was just kind of meandering along. And then the ending happened and like, she's so subtly built up like care and empathy for these people that by the time the ending happens, it kind of creeps up on you. How at least it crept up on me how mm-hmm. much it actually affected me. Um, which I think is just is very impressive because you know, there's no like signaling or they're like, oh, you really need to care about this character, or like this is the main character and you should care about him because of X, Y, and Z. It's like Definitely nah, not. it's just like following around these people. And just by doing that, then by the end, you're suddenly like, Oh my god, I really, you know, I'm invested in this, like I'm very emotionally um affected by this which i think is is a really great thing um obviously the rider i will say a lot of that was because like the ending shot of him riding a horse i was like oh my god the bond between (laughs) humans and horses blah 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 is eternal Um, (laughs) yeah um you know even though mine try to bite me like every day but it's okay uh but same thing here even with no horses um yeah so I just think that's one of my favorite things that I've enjoyed about most of her films is just kind of how they creep up on you yeah the I mean everything besides Eternals like it really like the ending doesn't feel like an ending it just feels like where the film stops number one yeah number two it's like real life like it it ends Mm -hmm. with real choices that people don't talk about like the fact that he doesn't go to LA um yeah right that's not the way that you would normally play this type of a film like if it was Mm -hmm. a comedy maybe or you know more of a drama but this is it's a it feels a lot more like docufiction and like you would it's the type of film that seems like you would follow to to explore more of the countryside and more of these characters and instead you don't and you you restrict access and I mean the uh the symbolism of that being him walking on the road and looking at her and then continuing on the road and then her walking 
to the road after he's already passed the bend in it is just like that's cinematic gold like that visually yeah. tells you everything you need to know that's steven spielberg like you don't need to say a word you can just show me one minute and i know what happened with mm-hmm. the the visual lens um so she's yeah it's very interesting and i i hope that she doesn't make these big budget films again and gets back to this and explores some other states it'd be interesting to see her go explore like uh northern or yeah i guess the middle and north of canada or the south or you know these other areas that are less observed um you know between her and sean baker there's this great resurgence Mm -hmm. of these little um filmmakers that need one or two actors to make a compelling story with a bunch of non-actors yeah see that's so funny though because i i I, like obviously i want her to continue making films like this but i also i'm like bring her back to marvel and just let her do her thing obviously they aren't gonna they're too big to let somebody do their thing i know um you know bring her to netflix and let her start her own cinematic universe they'll always do like (laughs) you know, like with Taiko ITD and stuff, they'll, they'll let someone do enough of their thing. So it can be like, oh yeah, this feels like Chloe Zhao. This feels like Taiko ITD. But then they also are like, but we have to do enough of our Marvel thing too. But, you know, it, the, the untapped potential of Eternals is just so, there's so much. And yeah, it's so frustrating. And this movie, the songs I've others taught me just reminded me of that. And I was like, damn, damn. Like this was her first movie and it was so like, so impressive. And she had such a good handle on like what she wanted to do. Anyway. Complete expression, command of formalism. And yeah, if she does return to a larger project, I think the story by credit needs to really be in her control. And that's, I think we we didn't talk about it here, but maybe I'll spend a little bit of time on that is you get the sense that she didn't write all these lines of dialogue. Like when he Mm -hmm. goes into the cafe and then goes to leave because she's not there. And then he gets called over um, where the guy invites him to go work at a stepdad's garage. You get the sense that it's like, this is the conversation that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Say it how you would say it. Yeah. And that's very much not what Eternals was. Eternals was inflect here. You need a dialogue coach there. And yeah, if she's going to do something larger, I want her to have the room of like, okay, let's improv for 20 minutes. Yeah. This idea of like, you need to let, you need to try to cajole him into working at your stepdad's garage because you're concerned about his lifestyle. Give it a couple takes, you know, that, mm-hmm. that type of a thing is really where she soars as I think a storyteller. Cause she knows in her casting process that she's getting the people that will tell the story the way that she thinks it can be told yep. um and the casting process of eternals was very much like here's some large here's some hot hunky stars yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah literally everyone on that movie was beautiful uh yeah but i ah whatever just it's just so frustrating i'm like just 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 ease up on the news like a little bit marvel mm-hmm. just a little bit please they've they've started to i just wish they would like let go they've just loosened their grip they just need to let go just let it go bro um so that's in general songs my brothers taught me is there a favorite scene that you had from that film is there a favorite scene 
Um, I liked, I mean, oh gosh, I don't know. Can you go first? You go first. Yeah. Yeah. My, my favorite single image actually is that one that I already brought up earlier where their, their mother is just watching that controlled burn going on at night. It's, it's a stark image, but it's also like this apt metaphor for like what, what the elders in this community are attempting to do and how hard it is to control uh, a controlled burn and, and that type of idea where there's all this volatility and there's, you know, bootlegging as you mentioned and trucks are being lit on fire. And I mean, I guess before we, we do end, how the fuck did they do that? Did you watch that scene? Like I rewound it and rewatched it because it's insane. Someone really was there someone really threw a match it really exploded like instantaneously and like a fiery piece of material did float through the air while he was running back covering his ears it's insane she couldn't do that anymore (laughs) i yeah i was i was concerned for that man on screen i was like oh my god like they poured gasoline on it. I was like, I hope that's a stunt person. <laughs> like they poured gasoline on it and it already had a bunch of alcohol in it. And then if you're uh-huh. imagining it, I was like, oh my God. But like, you don't uh. think that the alcohol is already in there as you're watching it the first time. Like you didn't think that they kept it, but then it explodes like they did. It's like, holy yeah. shit. But it explodes all at once. Like, oh man, it's, that's brutal. Um, yeah, but- I, yeah. I think that was, that might've been my favorite scene just because I, I, it was uh, insane. I don't, yeah it was insane and then also like it was just i thought the image of like the car burning against the black knight while johnny's like laying bloodied on the ground and like watching what he (laughs) hoped to be his future you know burn to a crisp i thought that was really good yeah the fact that that is his life yeah and it's just gone um and then also you know when uh jashan comes down and sees travis and his buddies with some alcohol and just like you know just all the different ways that she like she didn't really have much innocence to begin with. And I don't mean that as in like, you know, she's like 11, but like, I just mean that she's had to grow up fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, just like all the different ways that you see her, like get disappointed more of that. over and yeah. over and lose yeah. trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. thought that was really good. Powerful. Absolutely. So Anna Harrison, thank you for joining me on this special episode. Where can people find you on the social networks of the internet? People can find me at Anna F. Harrison on Twitter and Instagram. If you don't, if I don't know you on Instagram though, I will remove you as a follower. I'm just warning you most likely. Um, Twitter, I won't. And then also if you go to AnnaFHarrison.com, that's a website which has uh, some stuff about me, but also links to my Twitter. Um, And then also on Letterboxd, I am Anna F. Harrison. So you can see I got a little motif there going. You got tons um, of stuff. Where can people find your written and video work? Oh, well, that would be drinkinthemovies.com slash tag slash Anna dash Harrison. You've uh, got that memorized. I was oh, going to yeah. assume that it's all backlinked <laughs> on uh, AnnaHarrison.com. But it, all, it also is backlinked on AnnaFHarrison.com. There we go. Thank um, you. And then, yeah, you've got, interviews with with great people like natalie metzger available mm-hmm. um and you've got your weekly roundup of the mcu which is coming to an end soon what's the, yep. the final review that people will know that the mcu retrospective has ended it will be far from home the end of phase 
four, phase three, sorry. Oh, wow. Phase three. On my part. And then sorry, we wait the for phase, phase four for you to get back. And um, then early next year, you'll start writing about the Marvel limited series and television shows, right? Yes, I will. There's so, going to be lots of, lots of stuff. I mean, my Infinity War retrospective was 11 pages on Google Docs. So there's, you know, there's a, a lot read, of Marvel material. Yeah. If anyone wants to spend their time reading that, it'd be great. All right. Well, thank you for joining me, special Marvel correspondent. And I'll have you back next month for a conversation about Spider-Man. Hell yeah. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant.